So can anyone stop Alvaro Bautista? Welcome to the Paddock Pass podcast. Steve English and Gordon Ritchie taking you through the action here from the Aragon round of World SBK. We're recording this show on Sunday morning just as World Supersport warm-up is going on behind us. So if you hear some bikes, it's not that me and Gordo have stopped doing our job for today. We've just uh, decided to get this done in the morning. But uh, Gordon, just looking at uh, what we've seen here in Aragon, we saw once again... Alvaro Bautista dominating on race one here in Aragon, taking the pole position as well. But what was really good to see was we saw lots of progress from the rest of the field. BMW with a front row and Tom Sykes having a really good race one. Yeah, it was. Uh, this is definitely the race where other people started catching up to uh, the people behind Alvaro. Uh, but we had a fantastic race for second place yesterday between any number of people um, and people beginning strong, finishing a bit weaker and vice versa. We had proper old-fashioned racing yesterday and I think it was very noticeable to see that because of some of the new tech that BMW's brought here, that would seem to have an instant positive effect for Sykes and Reiterberger, even though he was unlucky at the start of the race. Yeah, brand new bike for BMW and uh, as you said, Gordon, lots of new developments for them. They spent a lot of time in the wind tunnel just trying to find some top speed, but they've also brought in some split throttle bodies. Yeah, the standard bike, uh, which is unusual for a uh, cross-the-frame four-cylinder's got Split throttle bodies are standard, but um, it seems to be that until now they've just been using all four in unison. But when you have the ability to be able to split those throttles so that they're only two open when you're exiting a corner, or you can keep two of them a little bit open when you're entering a corner to help with back wheel hop, um, it's a really big advantage in racing. It's something that the teams years ago that didn't have it uh, asked the organisers to have so that they could keep in competition as electronics grew. So it's I think that's actually much more of an important development for BMW than it seems from outside. Uh, as you say, they did do other things with the, with aerodynamics and so on, and that makes an awful difference when you're, especially when top speed seems to be the, a very important thing this year compared to other years. So it, I, th- I think it's exciting to see that um, people are using this championship as a development tool. They're not just doing it for racing and they're not just doing it to promote the road bike, they're actually, the lessons learned here will help them for the next generation of bikes that they bring out. Yeah, and how good is it to see BMW put in this level of development early in the process as well? Like if you think back to Phillip Island, the bike was really competitive from the outset, just giving up that top speed, but uh, really a competitive bike. Tom talks about being a really sordid chassis at the moment and they've been able to do a really good job of bringing in brand new bike, a stock engine at the moment, so they should have the start of their engine upgrades, the team are saying, could come as early as the next round in Aston next weekend. And uh, once they start to bring those on stream, we really could start to see Tom really challenging in races as well. I mean, the only thing that's missing is that punch out of corners and top speed down the straights that lets someone stay with the other riders. You need to have a certain amount of power to stay, even using the slipstream. Um, and at the minute, the BMW, as you say, is pretty much a stock engine. They, when they get to the level that they will be able to get to, that bike should be competitive every week for by Al- Alvaro and the Ducati. Um, but the, the, I think the, the, the progress that's going to come from that BMW is going to be just as impressive as the way they started the season, which was already stronger than I think anybody given credit for, considering how stock a lot of the things were going to be in a bike and how early they were in the development. They, they had made the decision to come back relatively late, but BMW's back, that's a proper factory effort. It's just not got all the bells and whistles that they wouldn't had when they came the first time with a huge hospitality, etc. 
and uh, the one way that you can see just how much of an investment BMW's made is if you look down into that pit box, you got Pete Jennings and Pete Benson as the two crew chiefs, a big investment being made there. The crew around them is really strong, and uh, then obviously just going out and hiring a Tom Sykes, a world champion, shows just how much that they want to win here again. Yes, I mean, they put their, when they built that original S1000RR, that was BMW taking a very, very big jump into the performance end of the, the world from being quite reliable road bikes and touring bikes and so on. That was a huge statement of intent. They didn't quite win the World Championship that way at that time round. Um, but they are putting everything into this in terms of engineering and resources and the choice of the personnel to let them get to that top level. They won't, if they don't make it to the very, very, very top, it won't be for without the lack of trying and the right amount of people in there. And um, I mean, Tom's Super Bowl work was unbelievable yesterday. If he hadn't made one mistake at the end, it seems he would have got pole, even ahead of Alvaro and everyone else, even on a bike with a, a relatively stock engine and even on a, a racetrack with a over kilometre long back straight, which is quite amazing. It just shows you how well the bike must be working everywhere else. It's just not got that power to fight with the other riders in a race. And he made an interesting tyre choice yesterday, Tom, that came good towards the end so he had a great start dropped off but as his tyre stayed in better condition than other people's he was able to move back forward again and maintain position What did Tom say to you yesterday Gordo about making that tyre choice and just how the race progressed from? I think it, it, there was no perfect tyre choice yesterday because the track temperature was a bit on the edge people were thinking about making choices no one seemed 100% happy with the tyre choice that they made just because it was a, a little bit of a transition from one tyre to another. Um, but it's difficult to say unless you actually race with the other one. It's all very well saying, oh, well, maybe I needed a bit of this. But if you didn't chosen the other tyre, maybe it would have been completely wrong. Some people did make incorrect tyre choices yesterday um, just because they thought it was going to be one way and it ended up going a bit the other way, uh, which affected a few people's races. Yeah, and we saw that uh, one of the things that we saw in that race was Michael Vandermark, at the end of the race, he started to really lose a lot of pace. Tom was able to catch him. But uh, for Vandermark, what was the big thing for him? Um, he's just not really been that happy with the setup of the bike this weekend. He's not really, it hasn't really clicked. They made one big change before the race, which is kind of a gamble, quite far away from where they'd been before. And that helped him a lot. But obviously, he didn't then have the practice sessions on that setup to let them do all the little fine things that would let him maybe keep that competitive right, right to the end to keep his tyre in a little bit better condition. Every time you make a, quite a big change in the chassis setup, you are then moving into unknown ground. You want to try and have that, find your ideal chassis setup in the first session so you can then work on that with tyres, with changing track conditions, with rider feel and confidence right up to races rather than making a change just before the race, which by definition means that there's an unknown. Yeah, the one thing for Vandermark in particular, if you look at the season as a whole so far, he's probably been a step behind his teammate Lowe's for the first time in a long time, really. If you think back to last year, it was always yeah. Vandermark that had that bit of an edge, particularly once we brought the big tyre in. But um, for Vandermark, he's always a rider that, if it clicks, he's going to be right there at the front and always liable for just to click overnight and suddenly for it to work. But when you look at him overall through the course of the season so far, what's your thoughts two and a half rounds in? I think uh, Michael's been a bit under the radar. Uh, he's, he's putting 
rides in, but it, it's it's not spectacular. He hasn't had a uh, he's not had a big Hollywood ride so far. Assets coming up, so you never know. Um, but I think there's there's kind of a limit to the Yamaha, and once you get to that level, that's fine. It seems that Alex has found that a bit better, a bit more consistently. Um, and Michael does seem to be a kind of rider who needs to have a lot of feel uh, to, to be able to go fast. He's also certainly seems to be the guy who, who, who can help turn it on Saturday, Sunday. Um, he won't necessarily push too much on something he doesn't like because there, to him there's maybe no point. Uh, you wait until you get something really good and then you give all your, your last quarter percent. And that's all it really takes nowadays is that, you know, you need a little bit of a percent to be top three as opposed to top seven, as opposed to top ten. And you just need a one percent more each time because the, the level behind Bautista uh, at the moment is so close. Yeah, we'll have a, an interview with Van der Mark at the end of this show, just when he's talking about next week being his home round in Assen as well. But uh, you mentioned something there, Gordon, just about uh, the fact that Vandermark comes good on Saturday and Sunday once it's race day and uh, there was a few little snipes amongst the Yamaha camp this week we heard that uh, Marco Melandri wasn't too happy with some of Alex Lowe's comments he was saying that they were a little bit uh, of, a, of a barbed compliment at times yes uh, there's definitely a bit of niggle there the official Yamaha guys weren't very happy when they were told they were going to get another two guys on what has transpired to be pretty much official bikes uh, and especially with Melandri with the experience and so on, they don't want him to take the development in the direction solely that might suit Melandri because he's got quite a cookie riding style marker that only works for him, no matter what bike he's ever ridden in World Superbike. Um, so there was a, before they even arrived, there was that potential for rivalry. But yeah, Alex uh, wasn't very happy with him in, uh, in the previous round in Thailand because he, he, he feels that Marco doesn't, congratulate other people or, or be warm to other people the way that most of the other riders are. So he had a bit of a go up there while also complimenting him on what a great rider he is and, and how well he works for the team. They're having a bit of a yin and a yang moment in that Yamaha, the overall Yamaha setup now because everybody's very grateful for the input that everybody else is putting in and everybody sees the same things and different things and it does seem to be making everybody set up a little bit better um, and certainly more data from riders that are going to the limit so but there's also that kind of personal it does seem to be a, a little bit of a character mismatch there where you get somebody like Alex who's so open and get up a bullion and then you've got Marco who's very kind of most of the time quite closed down and and he's always been a tough teammate, Marco. When you look at the other riders he's been with, they've all said the same thing. It's kind of like Max Biaggi. Brilliant riders, you know, really top level, but they want to be the number one in the team. That is kind of a prerequisite for them. They have to be number one. They can't be an equal. They can't be under the other guy. It's just a, the, an approach to racing that uh, maybe isn't shared by some others and maybe is shared by some others. Yeah, I think uh, most riders would be the same. It just depends on how well they're able to control that urge. Yes. And uh, we've seen in the past that uh, Marco's had his fall nights with his teammates. And you'd have to look at Yamaha now. And Yamaha's getting more and more stretched. You look at GRT is 
as you said, come in with pretty much the same bikes as the Pada bikes. And then you also have a new Honda coming on the grid, or new Yamaha, sorry, coming on. I knew I was going to do that. Yeah. Tenkade Honda, it's, it's so it's, difficult it's, not it's to say it. It's been down to your, your mindset for 20 odd years. Yeah? So we've got a Tenkade Yamaha coming on the grid yes. from possibly Imola onwards, but definitely Hareth onwards. And uh, we'll see Lars Baz on the grid. Yeah, it's fantastic to have the big man back. Um, he's I've been watching him racing since he was, I think, 15 years old. Uh, he's won uh, very young. He's, he's won superbike races, but uh, after the great kind of falling out of sights in Kawasaki uh, and moving to MotoGP, which some people said was ill-advised at the time, but I guess if you're a young guy and you get the chance to do it, you should do it. But it has made it more difficult for him to, to come back here and perform at the level he did because he went away and he came back and then it didn't quite work out for whatever reason. Now he's got a chance to ride back in one of the, the most successful teams in the paddock, certainly one of the most respected and well-liked teams in the paddock. Uh, I think that's a potentially great marriage. It will be the fifth Yamaha. Um, and I think that will they will possibly be at the, the back of the pecking order. The GRT and the official Pata bike seem quite level, uh, at least to start with. So I don't think it's going to be very easy for them. But I also think that they've got everything there to be a successful team. Uh, and it's great to see Lewis back. He's, he's a lovely big lad, French guy. It's all these things are important. And he should now be able to translate his MotoGP experience maybe into something that he can work on back in World Superbike again. Yeah, and uh, Loris, I think he definitely, he's, he'll probably feel that he's wasted a few years, especially last year with Altea BMW. You could see that uh, he was pretty miserable for most of that season. I remember I asked him what was the most memorable moment of the season or what was the best moment of the season. He said, just the checkered flag in Qatar, just to be finished. And yeah. it really summed it up for him. But now suddenly if you get into a position where you're on a Yamaha that we've seen at podiums with Melandri in Australia, Lowe's in Thailand, it was quick here in Aragon as well on Saturday's races and certainly should be in with a shot again in uh, the Super Bowl race and in race two here. So it's a sorted package, a good team. We'll be happy, Gordo, because the best coffee in the paddock's back. And uh, <laughs> it's a win-win for everyone. Yes, and I think it's, emotionally it was very difficult to see Tenkata leaving last year. You know, it was a great surprise to them. It was generally a great surprise to most people. It has been very difficult times for Honda in the last few years for results, but I think especially the, the, the severity and the manner of the leaving was, was quite difficult to be able to deal with. So to see those guys back again without even missing a year, it's an important thing for the heart and soul of, of World Superbike because those guys are the embodiment of what what can be done in World Superbike if you do it properly. They started off as a small team from Holland. They continue to be a, effectively a dealer team. Uh, and they, they won a World Championship in Superbike and I think nine Supersport World Championships. That is quite remarkable. And it's what, ideally, World Superbike should always be. Anybody that puts the right package together because it's a production based championship should be able to bring a little bit more than the other guy and win and think that I've done that it didn't have for a few years let's hope the change of manufacturer enforced what it may be might be an ideal thing for them maybe they have a whole new set of technologies and, and tuning processes that they will go through um, that, that made them the success they were at the beginning it's just getting a bit more difficult to do that. The more stock the rules become and the more standardised the rules become and the more cost cap parts and so on, 
it, it's, it's more difficult to bring what you have you have, when you have to use what you're told by the organisers. But that has also evened things out. So it also means that they should be able to start at a higher level changing machinery as they've done. Yeah, and I think that uh, what's going to be really good is just to see another bike on the grid. We need another bike on the grid. The grid's a little bit sparse with 18 full-time bikes. Put Loris Baz on there. It's another, as you said earlier, Gordo, another former race winner in the class, guy with MotoGP experience. Can't be a bad thing for the championship. And I know that uh, David was at the press conference in Assen and uh, he was talking to Loris and one of the things Loris said was you know you can be a great rider on a great bike with a bad team and you're not going to get results you can be a bad rider with a good team and a good bike and you're not going to get results you need to have everything lined up together and hopefully for Tenkade and for Baz that's what we're going to end up having Racing is all about the package it's absolutely all about the package and especially when you get to the level that World Superbike is now there's only 18 bikes in the grid this year there'll be 19 when they arrive but that those are the best of the ones that were here before. All we're, all that's been lost in the last few years are teams that are struggling to find a budget that can't be competitive, whatever. Yes, it would be great to have 30 bikes and so on, and maybe we will get back to that if there's talk, there has been talk for years about if a manufacturer wants to come here, they have to bring four bikes, they have to bring a factory one and then support for another one as a way of guaranteeing the grid. That would bring us up to a much healthier grid. So, but in all honesty, I'd rather have 18, 20 really good people that could compete even for the, the independent riders championship. Uh, that's what we need in this class. And if it, it, you know, there's no more money around in the world anymore. Sponsorship isn't what it used to be. It's going to be more difficult to find those things. You have to rely on some degree of manufacturer support. Um, and if that's in the form of having a satellite team, maybe that's the future for this class. Maybe that's what's going to build above the grid. But the grid now is very, very strong. There's one young kid at, consistently at the back, and that's just because it's his first season in Superbike. And it's a, it's a, the, the, even the factory versions of his bike are winning. You know, they're not competing the way they, they will do eventually once they get their heads around it all. You talked there about the package, Gordo, and obviously enough, the package right now is Alvaro Bautista, his team, and that Ducati V4 or But here in Aragon, we have seen the other Ducatis make a big step forward as well. We saw Chaz Davis up back on the podium in race one. Eugene Laverty was in the scrap for a podium spot as well before he had a crash in the last lap after clashing with Davis. And even Ronaldi with the, the Barney Ducati, he was on the second row of the grid. Yeah, I mean, Ducati up until now has been Alvaro for lots of reasons. Um, but everybody knew once Chaz got whatever was wrong sorted and started moving towards his happy place which he certainly found a lot more of in that first race this weekend there was one major technical problem a kind of silly thing about tyre pressures and temperatures that they've been running consistently wrong in the, the Go Living Ducati team once they sorted that instantly the rear end of Rudy's uh, machine started working and as soon as it did he was able to find the pace in Thailand to some extent and especially here and Ronaldo's shown some pretty good form as well as his, his actual grid qualification he's also shown other flashes as soon as everybody gets their bikes which remember there's three different suspension packages spread across those four Ducatis with two factory bikes uh, Barney going their own way and Go Living going their own way so there's not you can't share that data. It's not like everybody can just copy what Alvaro's got and, and adjust for the different weights and heights. So they're catching up to where 
the incredible form that the team, the bike, and Alvaro have shown in the start of the season. Um, but they've got effectively ninety nine percent of what he's got, and you know Chaz should have a hundred percent of what Alvaro's got. Uh, so I expect only improvement from those guys. I think we will see sooner or later all the Ducati podiums and maybe, maybe fairly regularly. Yeah, I think like we're recording this Sunday morning, so before the Super Bowl race and before race two, I wouldn't be surprised if we see an all Ducati podium here this weekend. And it sort of shows as well just how good a job particularly in race one we saw from Jonathan Ray because I thought that was one of the best races we've seen from Ray in God knows how long definitely since he was on Kawasaki and you'd have to go all the way back to whenever he was on a Honda to really look at a race where he was at a big disadvantage and was able to get himself to the front of that group it was the way he did it and it was the way that at the end he when you looked at the, there was you know there, there was potential for a different podium order behind Batista yesterday but once you get to that end of the race you, you're going to back Jonathan because of his race craft because he's, he's he's more happy and settled he's having to push his machine his team are having to push the development they're, they're pushing all the components harder because they have to because they have a limit on how how fast they can make the bike relative to the new Ducati which starts off with far more revs and, and much more MotoGP in it um, but um, that was a remarkable race yesterday from Jonathan as you say one of the best ones he's ever done and he actually enjoyed it I spoke to him afterwards and other than getting beaten which he really obviously doesn't like four time world champion and the top dog until they start first race this year um, he really doesn't like getting beaten but he actually enjoyed the scrap yesterday and he, he I think the phrase he used was I had to be a lot more creative with my passes and he said that he overtook Chaz Davies twice in the inside. And he says, I can't remember ever passing Chaz. And I could just out, just beating Chaz on the front end. Uh, and he says, and I did it twice yesterday. Uh, so he's having, he's having to find new levels and that's making the spectacle more. And I think for him and his team, they can be quite satisfied with their efforts. Uh, which is weird considering that they've been winning up till now and now they're consistently getting beat. But I mean, seven second places for Jonathan behind Alvaro's seven wins on, you know, come after Saturday this round. It's yeah. amazing. It's consistency from those two guys, you know. Especially whenever we look at the steps that have been made in the rest of the grid as well. Like Yamaha is so much closer to Kawasaki as well now. And, you know, BMW's come in, as we said at the top of the show, just with a really settled package for Tom Sykes. Even Marcus Reidenberger made a big step forward this weekend, right? He was qualifying on the third row of the grid for race one. Unfortunately, with his crash in uh, in the race start, but uh, he could have a good result here in Aragon as well. And that's exactly what we need to see. But for uh, for me, one of the key things that we've seen is you talked there, Gordo, just about uh, how hard Johnny's having to ride. And one of the things that we've heard him talk about a lot this year is front tire wear. Yes. and obviously if you're giving up a lot on the straights you have to try and make up your lap time somewhere else Johnny has to try and make it up by running through a corner faster he has to put more load through that front tyre he has to brake hard he has to try and do anything he can to try and bring the fight to Bautista so he's putting an awful lot more stress on that front tyre as well and that's really been one of the keys that we've seen from him at times through this season yes and uh, the the thing that they need to improve the thing that might be causing that extra front tyre wear and certainly front end stress is a, a relative lack of uh, st- less stability than they used to have in the front end um, that's their obvious place to make improvements how do we get a more stable front end um, Johnny likes to run a, a stiffer tyre 
on a more planted front end and at the minute it seems it's it's not exactly the way they want it. Uh, there's been more Pirelli tyre development since the last round and we've got a new rear and a new front which is basically a, light, a slightly st- uh, stiffer construction and that should play in the, a rider like Johnny who likes to use the front end hard, keeps big fast corners but needs a bit more support going around the front if that helps their tyre stability and brings the Kawasaki closer to the lead Ducati then that's great for the show it's the, we want everybody to be able to have the choice of tyre that works for their style and their machine um, and it's good to see even Bautista yesterday said what he likes about the Pirelli system of, of single tyre supplies they do development and they're doing it through the year and they're doing it race to race you know he was quite complimentary about it and all that and as I say we've seen new tyres this year not just the the X, the kind of uh, pre-qualifier, if you like, or in a good day, maybe a 10-lap tyre, maybe, maybe. Um, they're, they're, they're trying new things, and, and it seems to be that's, that, that is helping the riders if they can go down their route of development. If everybody gets a, the ones that want a softer one, I've got one, new ones coming in, new ones coming in for the guys that like a harder one, then we should that should even close the competition up because there were complaints from some riders I, th- I remember Chaz uh, talking about that they were taking the front end development away from what worked for him and his Ducati in the last couple of years so you know he wanted to have a particular type of tyre but the general direction was going another way if Pirelli can find fronts and rears that work for everybody then we're going to have even better races we've got uh, an interview with Michael Vandermark coming up after this but one last question for you Gordo we, uh, obviously we've got Vandermark his home round in Assen no one's really going to be able to take the fight to Alvaro Bautista here all things being equal in Aragon we saw in race one just how he was able to stretch that lead yes. big advantage here but in, Ar- in Assen it's going to be a very different race track obviously Bautista knows it like the back of his hand he's raced there for years in Grand Prix but that's a track that could really suit the likes of Tom Sykes Johnny always goes wild there as well on the Kawasaki. The Yamahas go wild there. Vandermark goes wild there. Is there any chance there that uh, we'll really start to see Bautista under a bit more pressure? A bit more pressure, maybe. Uh, I think when you see the way Alvaro's riding, even in the areas where his machine doesn't have a, a natural advantage just because of its design and performance capabilities as a stock bike, um, the way he was riding yesterday, smoking the tyre, flinging it into corners, you know, big throttle openings in the way out, happy. He's just happy. And and as he said, that's how riding it harder, riding it to the limit, is what stops him being complacent. It stops him losing concentration. You I think in Assen, certainly the layout of the track should be better for more people. There is no massive big straight. The, the Ducati obviously has an advantage, whatever anybody says. It's definitely something that they have in their... In their, in their their uh, toolbox ultimately Assen is always a great lever how many races we've seen at Assen with people tripping over each other into the final chicane for at least the first half of the race hopefully we'll be able to it's a, I think it's a case of people you can run interference at Assen cleanly and safely but there's all those corners out the back where you can overtake if it's a case of not letting Alvaro away I think that there are that's the first opportunities we're going to have this year probably to to see somebody really giving him a hard time in the longer races especially in the shorter races it's possible and I think the 10 lap race at Assen absolutely will be the closest contest this year so far because okay. it's tyre wear you know eventually tyre wear tells in everybody at any track even a big fast flown track like Assen 
Um, so I think that 10 lap race at us is going to be the one to watch. Okay, well, thanks for joining us again, Gordo. It's been uh, great to chat to you. And uh, we'll leave you with Michael Vandermark just having a chat with us just to look ahead to Assen and also just to have uh, some insight into what's going on with the Paddy Yamaha team as well. Michael Vandermark joining us on the Paddock Pass podcast. And Mikey, we're sitting here in Aragon, round three about to get underway, but this podcast will be going out just around the time whenever everyone's getting ready for Assen, your home round. Obviously, always a special round for you. Yeah, you know, really looking forward to to Assen. Um, luckily, in the in the past, I always had really good results at my home race, and you know, it's getting it's getting more and more fun. And I'm looking every year, I'm looking more forward to it to to be there. And obviously, Assen, we've seen like massive crowds over the last few years. Obviously, you're the big draw for that. I remember going to Assen, and I think it was 20. 20- 13 you would have still been in super sports and there was very few people in the crowd now we'll get massive the whole grandstand on the start finish straight will be full and it's something special yeah it's it's something really special uh, i've seen the, the the crowd growing every year and you know it's it's just special you know to to see so many people coming coming like watching me or wearing my t-shirt but also this year we have so many uh, dutch riders in in Supersport and, and Supersport 300 so I hope there will be even more more crowd than before Yeah we've seen actually a lot of riders come through the Dutch system even whether it was the German riders racing in the KTM Cup as well as the Dutch riders like what's sort of been the drive for that? Well I think we have uh, in the Netherlands uh, the Dutch Federation since a few years they, they have quite a good uh, coaching system and helping kids we have them you know, we have uh, the Austin Circuit next to the Austin Circuit, it's a small junior track. And um, of course, you know, the many riders, they still go to Spain, Italy or, or Germany to, to you know, to go in a stronger championship. But at least we, the, the, the kids can, can train now in, in the Netherlands. So I think it's, it's, you know, where Spain was already a few years ahead of us, we, we finally following them. and. And uh, yeah, there's more and more talents coming up now. You mentioned coaching, and you've actually been getting quite a bit of that this year as well. You got Raymond here, track spotting and World SBK for you as well, and you're using that more and more now. Why is the big reason that riders are doing that now? Well, for uh, for me, the, the reason I didn't have it the first three years with the Yamaha was because uh, I didn't feel like our base package was good enough to really uh, only focus on 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 the riding and. You know, on, on track and ideal lines and stuff. And now uh, we have a really good base. We have a really good base bike. So now we can focus on the last details, and then someone else can spot on track for the last details. So I felt like before we were really too far away to to have someone out there every every single session. And you know, it's also something uh, Yama really wanted and helping me with it. So you know, I think it's it's positive for everyone. It's like everyone's just getting to that point now where you're all looking for the last couple of tens and this is what makes the difference? Yeah, everyone is looking for the last couple of tens and it's also good for the team to because uh, you know, Raymond is really good with the team. He has a lot of experience with the R1 as well and uh, also when he's you know watching on track, um, he sees things the, peop- the guys in the garage can't see you know, from other bikes or stuff like that and you know, when they're working really well together, it's it's not only a positive for me, but also he can speak with my technical crew and and you know they can think about some ideas what he has seen on track. 
and you're just mentioning there the things that he can see that the Yamaha is working well. Like, what's the big area that the Yamaha is strong now? Well, I think the the Yamaha now is the base package is is really strong. It's not a. It's really difficult for me to say one particular point where the bike is strong. I think the bike on every circuit now is is strong, uh, fast flowing uh, corners, but also stop and go corners are, are getting better and better. So the whole package is 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 really strong now and um, yeah of course we need to improve still quite a lot of things but it's not one particular part where the bike is really strong I think it's it, the average package is really good when you look at uh, the Suzuka bike as well like obviously you've raced there the last couple of years on the Aura 1 that's always been a strong package is this bike getting closer and closer to the feeling from that bike obviously it's using Bridgestones World SBK using Pirelli's but is it getting closer to that feel yeah, it's it's difficult to to compare, but um, because they they use different tires and but our but that bike has a such strong base basis and uh, every year we we enter Suzuka we we didn't change anything on the bike and we're getting to that point now where um, where we are doing less and less adjustments like big adjustments on our World Superbike R1, so uh, we're getting closer, but it's difficult to really compare the two bikes. Will you be back at Suzuka this year? Well, I think I, it's not confirmed, but I'm pretty sure they will ask me to join again after the last two years. What is it that makes a race like that special as well? It's a one-off event, obviously, like in, in a world championship, you've got 13 rounds, 39 races this year, but at Suzuka, it's just one-off. you got to get the result on the day. You know, it's, it's the history of the, of the race and the, the effort the other teams and factories putting in it's, makes it, uh, makes it really special and uh, that's the reason why we do it because it's also a big honor to be asked to join the you know the factory team for their like I think the biggest race of the year so um, it's a one-off it's not always perfect for a schedule but you to be honest you they ask when they ask you you can't say no I always find it interesting at Suzuka obviously yourself and Alex have done it the last couple of years teammates and World SBK as well and it's always interesting to look at the difference in the dynamics between riders when they're working properly as a team at Suzuka rather than at a race meeting where all you're focusing on is on yourself yeah it's 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 a lot different but I think because Alex and I we we have to work together in in Suzuka uh, makes our relationship better also in in World Superbike I think if we we wouldn't do that race our relationship would be a lot different so uh, yeah it's it's strange and luckily we both can like you know switch uh, when we're there because when we're there we, we don't race against each other we just help each other and it's it's quite nice to, to see that we both can change and ride different that weekend and if we have a race next weekend we, we just fight against each other again The fight's on track between the two of you over the last couple of years we've seen some really close racing so obviously there's a lot of respect between the two years out on track as well yeah exactly and uh, you know of course we always have close racing is what we enjoy we always want to beat each other but um, yeah we, we are teammates so we we have to be a little bit careful as well but also because we you know we have some history at Suzuka and stuff like that it's there's always you know there's a little bit more respect when, when we pass each other but at the end we want to win but when we when we fight against each other there's always a little bit uh, I don't know how to say it a little bit less risk 
Michael Vandermark joining us on the Paddock Pass podcast. And Mikey, just switching back to twenty seven uh, to twenty nineteen, and um, when we look at the Yamahas on the World SBK grid, obviously we've now got the GRT team with Sandro Cortese and Marco Melandri. Loris Baz is going to be back on a Tenkadi Yamaha in the next couple of rounds as well. Like the Yamaha package as a whole, really has been really competitive. All the bikes fighting with each other in each of the races but what's it like now that there's those extra Yamahas on the grid? I think it's something first of all we can where we can be really proud of that uh, other teams wants or Yamahas you know uh, a lot I think uh, two years ago you nobody really wanted you know they they saw it was the bike wasn't uh, competitive enough and now you see that people really want to to use Yamaha so it's first of all where all the Yamaha team can be really proud of, and Alex and myself as well. So uh, that's that's really positive, and you know I think uh, with with another Yamaha team is since this year, um, it's there's different riders, different uh, you know different feelings. So we really have to take uh, you know positives from that and see what they think, what needs to change on the bike, and so we have more information, which which will always help and. You know, on track we we see that the Yamas are always really close together. Uh, I think at the moment we are, yeah, really third, fourth, and fifth or something in in the championship. And I think this shows that the package is really good, but that everybody's a bit on the on the limit of the bike. So uh, yeah, we we need to improve and we need to make step forward. And uh, yeah, I think this with four riders having four riders now. Um, different feelings maybe we can find more clear ways uh, which way to go and then obviously as well like when you look at World SBK this year we've seen Ducati come in with Alvaro Bautista they've won the first six races of the year like the Ducati is a proper old school homologation special and we've seen it where the newest bike on the grid is the most competitive bike but uh, how tough is it for a rider whenever you look at the timesheets and you see what Bautista's doing yeah, of course, it's, it's quite tough, but everybody knew they were going to come back with a new bike and for sure it was going to be a really strong bike. And uh, um, already in testing last year, we saw that they are really fast on the, on the straights. And, you know, Bautista is doing a fantastic job. I think the Ducati and Bautista, they found a, you know, they found a setup, they found a perfect combination. And uh, that's why he is so strong and, you know... Um, the most difficult thing for for us as a rider is that every straight he's pulling away like 10 or 12k per lap and this is the most difficult thing to uh, you know to get closer to them because they can be strong in one sector uh, uh, I can be strong in another sector you know you can catch up now every sector but on the straight it's Especially with this difference, it's, it's too difficult to to catch up so much time in, in you know in all the corners. Yeah, I find it interesting whenever I was looking back through all the lap data from Thailand, just how much time Bautista on average was making up in sectors one and two. It was around about half a second a lap. Sectors three and four, all the Yamahas, Johnny Ray were all pretty much the same pace as Bautista. But once you've got that bike that's got that straight line speed advantage, you don't have to push as hard through the corners. You're able to ride a little bit within yourself. Yeah, and uh, you know it's it's in. I think Thailand was a, was a clear example. You know, sector one is only one corner, and uh, he he never took any slipstream, and he was just pulling away off off second per lap. And it's difficult, but I don't want to complain about it because it's 
something they did within the rules and uh, you know he's doing a fantastic job so uh, we we need to react and, and and get you know much stronger than all the other sectors. Yeah, one thing you're hearing from a lot of riders over the first two rounds really is it is what it is, and you've just got to deal with it, try and get the most out of your package, and see what happens. Yeah, exactly. Like I said, I don't I don't want to complain about it. They did something in the rules which which they did fantastic, and you know all the other manufacturers have to uh, have to react on this. Just one last question then, Mikey. Looking on to round four, your home round in Assen, what's the chances of being able to do something special there? Oh, it's... it's The Assen weekend is always special and uh, you know, I know the track and even if the bike is 90%, I, I will always be fast. So I just... I just Of course, I, I want to win my home race, that's for sure. Um, but also I want to finish on the podium there because it's such a special feeling. Uh, to have so many Dutch fans around and you know they, they motivate me a lot and also seeing you know photos videos from last year seeing all the Dutch crowd going crazy mot- motivates me even more so of course I really want to win there but I think podium for sure should be uh, should be possible yeah if anyone's able to get to Aston one of the best things of the Aston weekend really is at the end of a race whenever you get to stand up on the pit wall just to basically salute the crowd and massive cheers and it's it's really been something over the last few years we've really seen grow in the championship yeah and uh, you know normally I don't I don't do special things or whatever but if you know someone a few years ago someone pulled me on the pit wall and everybody started, started screaming and clapping and it gave such a special feeling and, and they really appreciate it so uh, it, it is something special and I hope I can you know there is a reason I, reason I can do it again this year and, uh, and everyone will be really happy thanks for joining us Mikey yes thank you